Hello, 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 and welcome back to the With Love and Butter podcast, a chef's podcast on dating relationships and all the food and drinks that get us through it. I'm Courtney Futch, your host, baker of the last 10 years, chef and mixologist of the last seven, corporate marketing baddie for the last six, and most recently, a serial monogamist turned roster dater for the last year and a half. So today we're going to be talking about the intimacy of handwriting and how much that has informed my romantic decision making. Let's go ahead and get started. Now, of course, love and butter would not be buttering if I didn't have a craft cocktail on hand. Today's sippy sip is brought to you in a segment called What's Shaken? And she is a roasted lemon and bay leaf bourbon fizz with a splash of blackberry jam. And I love this cocktail so much. The char from the lemon add such a nice smokiness to the cocktail and bay leaf if you're familiar is an ingredient that's used in a lot of cooking but certainly not something that's eaten right so it adds a really subtle sort of minty peppery piney flavor to our bourbon Um, and otherwise this drink sort of like a strong lemonade right with a little bit of that smoky um, presence there so it's a little touch of sweetness you've got that little bit of smoke you've certainly got the refreshing quality from like our lemon because we really do treat this like a spiked lemonade and then of course you know the jammy depth of our blackberries which are just delightful it's a sexy summer night cocktail and you really can't go wrong having this with a grilled steak so let's have our little sip Mm. Mm mm-hmm Yeah, it has a banger right there. Okay, all right. I know what type of time we're gonna be on today. Phenomenal. All right, so now let's move into our next segment, right? We're gonna set a little bit of background um, for my affinity for a handwritten note. In this segment, if you're, you know, this is episode three for y'all. So if you've been listening for a little minute, then you know that this segment is called Mise en Place, right? Um, For those of you who are just joining, Mise en Place means in French to put in its place. And so this is the background context about me. So let's get into it. Now, if you follow me on TikTok, which if you're not, then you should, then you know that my most viral video is called Courtney's Prayer. And it's something that I wrote in the notes of my iPhone in February of this year. And it reads as follows. I want a soft love. I want a vocal verbal love. I need compliments. I want handwritten notes around the house. I need physical affection that isn't just sexual. I need friendly phone calls and to be able to joke on the phone for hours. I need compassionate problem solving. I need to be heard. I need to be seen. I need to be deeply known. Now, the preliminary version of this prayer lived in my phone for months, uh, written in the midst of a dating situation that was going downhill pretty quickly literally from the beginning of it, just going rapidly downhill. You ever just see like a child on a scooter with the inability to break? It's me. All right. And I imagine that that was the case. I know for a fact now that that was the case because I simply wasn't keeping any promises to myself. Uh, The promise in in question was to be single and non-exclusively dating for a full year. Now, while my singleness began technically in December of 2020, my dating journey didn't start until April of 2021. And I found myself kind of half-heartedly in a dating situation with someone who I cared for, but I could not bring myself to surrender to for so, so, so many reasons, some of which were his and some of which were mine. But the recurring theme was in a note that I wrote to myself on that same day, 
No amount of me caring about you changes my care needs. My dating situation with this particular man ended in an interesting way, which is something that we will unpack further in a future episode because I guarantee you it will take the full 45 minutes to flesh out. And as that relationship was on its way out, I use relationship in very heavy, very strong, the strongest air quotes that my fingers could ever been to. Um, I received an interestingly timed text from a man that I'd also dated in April of 2021. And he was my second date out in the single universe. This is a man who I will refer to as Polaris. Um, but the internet, has previously heard me refer to him as the favorite. Now, his name here is Polaris for the North Star, which holds completely still in the sky while all of the northern sky moves around it. And my time with him felt a lot like that, actually. Like, I moved around him, and he just kind of stayed there. Um, Very stoic. But before that revelation with this man, with Polaris, I was all, all in. And it sparked my creativity at a time in my life where so many things were happening and changing. I had just quit my job uh, where I had been unhappy for months to go fully into a career as a freelance culinary producer, chef, and creator. A month prior to that, my grandmother had just passed away um, and I was reeling from that, but also arriving at like a new version of clarity every single day. And in the midst of all of this, I was also preparing for my move to Charlotte at the end of May. So there was a lot going on. There was so much happening all at once. Um, But eventually I had the brain space to think more freely about my feelings and also to feel all of my feelings. So back to Courtney's prayer. It did not originally include the piece about handwritten notes or about compassion and problem solving. Those were things that my last year of dating simply did not include because it seemed like the sort of intimacy that really only came with something like long-term and exclusive and uh, committal. But a month into reconnecting with Polaris, I went into the city for yet another of our dates. I think at that point, that was date number four or five out of the maybe 10 or 12 that we ended up getting to before I moved away. And I go to him excitedly with banana bread in tow. If you listen to the last episode, then you know all about this banana bread. It's got brown sugar and cardamom. And um, I start, like I made like a little jar of whipped brown butter to go with it on the side. And I bring all of this to him in a gift bag. And I'm so excited to see this man um, who, when I'm being honest, maybe I'd loved the whole time but hadn't gotten enough confirmation to be sure yet that that was how I felt. And we'll end up unpacking that a little later too. But I arrived at the restaurant that we were meeting at in Soho like an hour early because I was already co-working. I say co-working, that's not really what it was. I was really just working from a bougie coffee shop, Devotion, if anybody knows it. Um, And I was already in the city. I figured I'd just go down there and I'd wait. Well, while I waited in my car, I decided to make a couple TikToks to some songs that we're trending now. Um, one of my, it's now one of my favorite songs, um, is called On My Way by Tony O'Hall. Um, and I, you know, recorded my TikToks to those songs. Um, I didn't have any words to put over them yet. I just, something about the song was really just like carrying me, you know what I'm saying? It was driving me through in that moment. And I saved two drafts, got out of the car, went to dinner to go see my favorite guy. Seeing him always felt like, like pouring creamer into coffee, you know, that like soft swirling that you see in the glass or the mug when it's clear. 
it felt like a really gentle mingling of two things that are meant to complement one another, but maybe you don't enjoy as much separately. Certainly you're not going around drinking creamer for fun. Um, but anyway, sidebar, uh, after dinner, I came home and had these huge, big, something like loving feelings in my chest. And I opened up my notes app and I found the note that I'd started in February and I added two things to it, handwritten notes and compassionate problem solving. I copied and pasted that note over into TikTok, posted it, closed my phone, I go to sleep. When I woke up, the video had its first 60,000 likes. I'm sure you can imagine I was shook. This background is really important here because it was Polaris who reminded me of this lost love language of mine. He'd write me notes in his work journal and send me pictures of his musings with no asking. This man was speaking to me in a way that I best understand love. So let's move on to the main courts, shall we? Uh, I've got to take you all the way back to understand how I got to be a handwritten note hoochie, right? It started as early as I can remember at seven years old. See, I learned how to bake from my mother, who is this beautiful, golden-complected, freckle-faced, bright-eyed woman from the mountains of Virginia. Uh, I love my mom so much. Mom, you should absolutely not be listening to this episode, but in the event that you are, this is a very loving ode to you. My mom, as I'm sure is true for so many of us, was my first introduction to a good meal. Now, to back up for just a moment, I am very much an only child, in case anybody ever had any questions about that. Uh, My parents met and married quickly and then divorced when I was six. They have remained friendly with one another over the years, which I've always appreciated. And I'm so grateful because so many of those memories were good ones. But as a lonely only, any time spent near my parents was exciting for me. I was up under either of them all of the time. A Thursday night in the Fetch household looked like me, peering over my dad's shoulder as he drew out blueprints for additions to the house or watching him label dimensions on graphing paper in perfect capital letter penmanship, the sort that looked like the papyrus font. Does anybody remember that, the OG Microsoft Word days? Or I'd be sitting at the counter watching my mom as she whips up her famous spaghetti, still tall, very poised in her nine west pumps after work. She moves through the kitchen with a familiar grace, an ease that I've come to admire over the years. It is the dance that she does daily because she loves it and also because she is damn good. My mother didn't follow recipes, except for when she was baking. Recipes for cakes and pies and cookies that she kept written on the back of envelopes or in the margins of the soul food movie recipe pamphlet or on yellow legal pads, and most notably on the back of MapQuest direction printouts. These quick scribblings were sacred text and still are, which I've since referred to countless times. To this day, my mother keeps a drawer of written recipes, all tattered and preserved partly by vegetable oil, stained in one corner by red food coloring. And her penmanship full of flat, wide letters and large loops was the sort of thing that you had to know her in order to love. When I left for college, I took photos of all of these recipes and I saved them, stored them away for the just-in-case, stored them away for the future, stored them away for my daughter. I knew then what's held true for the last two decades. Anything worth writing down was worth archiving. And as I got older, my father, who transitioned from his career as a civil engineer to writing, instilled in me a deeper love of prose that reads like poetry. 
a large part of the way that I speak and write is because of his influence. And even before I was able to draw that line, I was always a flowery writer, likely because all of my childhood home was covered in post-it notes and printed notes and notes on napkins, notes from my dad to himself, notes to me, notes written like prayers, other notes written like warnings. These napkin notes filled my lunchbox until I was in middle school with encouraging little adages, reminders to me that I was the center of my parents' universe. These notes continued through college in letter form, but nowadays my dad sends me emails with letters in them, long stories with fun subject lines and memes attached. It saves us a stamp and it is still so, so loving. My parents, for me, set a tone for vocal, verbal, tangible love, something that you can cling to, something you can keep tucked away like treasure. And I guess it's how I learned to show my love for Letterman, my first college boyfriend. Y'all peep what I did there with that? Double entendre? Okay, cool. Now, the thing about Letterman is that I loved that boy with the sort of urgency that needed everyone to know. Facebook posts were not enough. He needed the stickiness of a physical note. I began writing to him first, in email form. It was a practice that he adopted quickly, easily. Loving me by the letter seemed so natural for him to do. And he shared with me countless journal entries and the insights into his thoughts. They really eased my mind as we navigated the distance in our relationship. By the end of our first year together, we were sending several typed pages back and forth to each other. Some in story form, some scattered musings, a lot of erotica, chapters of it actually, but I digress. I even went so far as to have a four page letter transcribed into braille for him because love is blind. I think about that every so often and how cringe and corny and potentially problematic that is. Um, But one thing that was so clear to me is that my creativity snuck to the front of the class for this man every single time. And with every future relationship, it became more prominent. Now, Newton, my next college boyfriend, was very much a poet. He performed poetry about his love for me in front of the campus on several occasions, and it lit a fire under me that I will never be able to explain. The things that I did for that man who made it a point to love me as boldly and fiercely out loud as he did in private, I was bringing my best simp to the floor most notably in a series called The Rolling Papers. For his birthday, I hand wrote every text of note that we'd sent to each other in the then two years of our relationship. Absolutely sick behavior, just not okay. Simp at its best, all right? Do you know how many texts there are in a two-year exchange? How many loving notes back and forth to one another had been sent? And then for me to want to put them all in little moleskin journals, alarming behavior, all right? But I organized them all into chapters chronologically, and it took me two whole weeks to finish. Um, And of course, because it was his birthday, there was a much larger gift attached to that, uh, which included baby's first surf and turf. It was the first surf and turf meal that I'd ever made uh, for a lover. I transformed my apartment into like a little bistro replete with candles and like twinkling lights. And like, I like closed off my kitchen so that he couldn't see what I was doing. And I was like, acting like wait staff. I bought a really cute apron and like a big, like poofy skirt. It was, it was very adorable. Anyway, 
after dinner. Um, I presented him with all his other gifts and finally these notebooks. And I remember he cried, like sobbed. And I remember thinking about how beautiful that was. And that night we read every single page of what had been written there together. And he said he'd never felt more loved. And the truth is, even as the giver of the gift, I had never felt more loved either. Now, after Newton was, of course, Wade, who wouldn't so much as fill out the left panel of a Hallmark card on my birthday. I learned early on that meeting me in this portion of my love language would be difficult for him, but I asked him for it anyway because I cared to have it met by him. His refusal spanned over a year and a half, and when I initiated or sent loving paragraphs of text messages, I'd be met with half-hearted responses, the sort of sweet that clings to the back of your molars because it doesn't feel right to consume jolly rancher, sticky, call your dentist type sweet. They rarely felt genuine, and I suppose I should have noticed that because he never initiated any of them. Someone's refusal to attempt meeting you in your foundational love language should be an early indicator of upcoming failure. And um, I was not compromising by not receiving this need in lieu of something else. I was already compromised. There truly is a difference. So when I re-entered the dating world last year, I focused my attention instead on the more immediate needs that I had in romance, sexual desire, ease of communication, humor, quality time. And for a year until this April, this core need of mine just went unmet as a recipient and as a giver. And that happened because I did not know how to ask for it. I couldn't have imagined that I was missing something so integral in my life, in my love language, in my romantic world, until the very first note that I got from Polaris in April stopped me clean in my tracks and made me cry. It made me feel so seen, like someone had been listening to me when I talked about how I became who I am. See, here's the thing. All this time that I spend here on this podcast regaling you with stories about my previous relationships and my dating life, they're they're going somewhere, I promise. There are lessons in here. Lessons for me at the bare minimum and hopefully for you too. What came out of this for me is that I had to truly interrogate what else in my hierarchy of relationship needs was going unmet because I didn't think I could trust anyone enough to meet me in them. How much of myself did I give away and not ask for anything in return? Just how much did I shrink myself looking for recognition and not for understanding? And it looked like this, receiving conversation but not communication and then communication, but not expression. The distinction feels so obvious to me now, but so difficult to name in 2021 when I was restarting my dating journey. Relying even on my own sense of humor because depth felt like too much. And I was using that to stay shallow, keeping things light, keeping things unserious, allowed me to have a level of detachment from the dating situations because I knew if the feelings started bubbling up, I would start asking for things and realize that I was bumping up against people's unwillingness. And that was a terrifying prospect. Uh, Even the need to be in control of the seduction path, right? Because I didn't feel like I could trust anyone to care to learn me or my body. After two years in a relationship where for the most part, I went 
unlovingly touched. Um, and mostly when you hear all of these things, I think the, the, the naming for it sounds like hyper-independence. I have been healing from hyper-independence and I'm realizing that that does not mean taking further control. It's the vulnerability to interrogate ourselves and then ask of others and then give them the space to respond accordingly. Or maybe not. The question that I ended up asking myself, and it did inform the rest of my dating decisions, as I started to like move a little more confidently uh, from April into May and from May into June and from June into July and eventually into August, which I feel like was super foundational for me. What did it look like for me to be loved just because? Did I always need to be doing something in order to be adored? And I know that the answer to that question is a relatively heavy one to unpack. So we will save that larger piece of that question for future episodes. Hmm. So now let's get into the spread because this is still a podcast on dating relationships and food. The meal inspired by today's episode is baby girl's first surf and turf. Okay. I loved this so much that like the moment that I made it for him, I had to stop and like write it down. Um, and you know, just like store it away. And I still have the recipe written and the recipe for my brown sugar steak rub has not changed by the way at all. So this is a ribeye coated, like rubbed down in this brown sugar steak rub, which is absolutely smoky and a little sweet and has like ground coffee in it and paprika for a little bit of like that depth. And of course that beautiful color, of course, you're going to have your kosher salt, your cracked black pepper. There were so many just like really beautiful flavors in it. And for it to have been as rustic as it was, it did feel kind of refined. And I served that with a spicy butter poached like lobster tail, y'all asparagus and goat cheese risotto and some charred lemons on the side. And for this to have been a meal that I was making in college, uh, for, you know, my lover, (laughs) um, it felt so mature. It felt so adult that even as I revisit, you know, my ideas of surf and turf now, it's really funny that it hasn't changed very much. This is a meal that, you know, 20 year old Courtney was making. And that seven years later at 27, I still love, and I'm still very fond of, um, and still reach for very often. And it's really a very beautiful dish. Of course, the visuals and the written recipe for, you know, baby girls first surf and turf, uh, are going to be on my website, which is courtneyfetch.com. So after this episode, you could go ahead and check it out over there. And of course, because all is paired in Love and Forks, you already know that I've got your back on the wine pairing. So this is going to go beautifully with a nice Sauvignon Blanc here. Okay. It's going to be lovely. If you're not a white wine drinker and you'd prefer to have a red, then I'd go for a red wine that's like lightly bodied and has low tannins. Um, So preferably like a Pinot Noir, I think would be a good choice. And of course, because every good meal needs a soundtrack, the song pairing for today's episode is Lines by The Hicks. Now, I don't know if any of y'all remember The Hicks. The Hicks came out with like a whole lot of bangers on their EP in 2013. And I guess I don't mean bangers in the sort of traditional sense. These are not like head bobbing, but they are sort of beautiful and, and melancholy um, and and striking, right? It's sort of hauntingly beautiful song that you'd expect to hear as an intro to one of your favorite medical dramas like House, you know? Um, but when I first found the Hicks in 2014, this song really stood out to me as a very pretty heartbreak song. 
and later, years later, it colored the realization for me that I was not being loved, not in full, not the way that I wanted. The line that stands out to me the most here would have to be all because I know what isn't real, my love for you. It drove musical daggers through my heart with a bright and a brassy horn section. It's so fucking rude, <laughs> but I pass the sad gift on to you because she is beautiful. And since you made it to the end of this episode, you might need a moment to sit in your feelings with me anyway. And so now for our final segment, which is just the tip. Essentially, this is the too long didn't read of our podcast. What I have learned is this. The adage, the right person will just know how to love you may be true. I've seen it in bits and pieces. Sure. Um, but I'd like to add that the right person, what makes someone the right person is someone who cares to develop the faculties to give you the love that you ask for. Please do not spend a lifetime without whatever your version of handwritten notes are. No joy will be found for you there. Go excitedly in the direction of your best met needs. As for me, I'm still looking for poetry on post-it notes. Join me on the next episode of With Love and Butter, where we'll talk about the crazy thing I did to unbreak my heart after a two-year relationship. This one's a doozy. You better be ready to drink. As always, I'm your host, Courtney Futch. Go forth and lobster babies. Bye. Thank you.